Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Dr Christian Thompson AO is a visual artist whose practice covers a wide range of art forms, trained in sculpture, uh, but he's here today to, to chat to us about the uh, work that has won the Bonus Photography Prize for 2020. It's called Rule of Three. Christian, welcome to Triple R and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm intrigued by the fact that your practice spans such a, a wide variety of art forms, from sculpture for, to photography, video to sound, live performance, even VR. Is this because your ideas just can't be pinned down, that you need to, that each one needs to find its own form of expression rather than you limiting it to a particular field or particular form? Yeah, I think it's just been a kind of organic uh, sort of process. And, you know, you're right. It's for the most part, it's about finding the right medium that best expresses the sort of conceptual premise of the work. Now, the work that has won the 2020 Bonus Photography Prize, uh, uh, which is presented and hosted by the Monash Gallery of Art, the work Rule of Three, tell us about the ideas that you were trying to present in this work. Uh, well, there's kind of been a, a sort of evolution in my practice, really. It, the kind of floral motif has been something that's been there from the very beginning. And over the years, the figure has kind of disappeared into the background and the floral motif has sort of moved uh, more and more to the, to the foreground. And they've kind of moved into a very sort of surreal and... Um, kind of abstract um, and sort of metaphysical space. So it's kind of an exciting place to be um, at this stage of my career. How significant is it to win a prize like this? Because we all know that uh, working as a any form of artist, whether a visual artist or a performing artist, uh, is not a highly paid career. So in terms of winning a prize, how significant is that in terms of being supporting your practice, but also in terms of uh, providing you a greater platform uh, in terms of recognition of your career? Uh, well, it's kind of surreal because I was a judge last year. <laughs> um, so... Uh, it's it's kind of I think I prefer to be on this side of the um, the um, situation, but um, I, I mean I think the bonus prize is really a kind of national platform for uh, the sort of Australian photographic community, and I kind of always enter prizes with the mindset that it's about um, showcasing your work, but it's also about the kind of community spirit and. Uh, showing that photography is still an incredibly resonant and powerful and important medium. Um, and, of course, yeah, it's lovely. If somebody wins and they get that acknowledgement, then I think that's great. But um, it's also about, um, about sort of standing alongside with the rest of the Australian photographic community as well. 
Do you think photography as an art form has been diminished or cheapened in any way in recent years, given that we all now, well, not all, but many of us carry around uh, a camera in our pockets uh, in the form of our mobile phone. We're saturated in visual imagery and anybody can take a photo at any moment and then use various filters to make it look quite startling. Has, has the immediacy and the kind of the... The, the, way, the image saturation that we're living in, has that, do you think that's changed the way people look at or appreciate photographic art? I think it's definitely, um, you know, sadly, I think in a kind of globalised world, we are seeing this kind of collapsing of different mediums and different kind of um, sort of genres. It's like, you're right, we are kind of inundated with visual imagery at a rate you know, that's never historically been seen before. But I think what's interesting is that the art gallery context and the appreciation of uh, real photography and the engagement or the quiet moment that you can have with a particular work of art is probably still one of the last bastions of, of place where we can have that sort of quiet moment and that sort of analogue interaction with an actual work of art rather than just being kind of sort of uh, barraged with media through our phones, etc. You just used the phrase real photography. Does that suggest that the work that you do is real and that the work that we are kind of saturated with through Facebook, etc., is somehow unreal, somehow ephemeral? Well, there has to be an understanding of... Um, uh, art history and of photography as a medium. Um, and if somebody is a photographer and they're able to uh, push the, lim- the the medium further, then I think that's a little bit different to uh, somebody with no photographic training just taking a snap on their phone. Um, there's a lot more, there are a lot more elements that play into the presentation of a photographic work um, than just the kind of the immediacy or the kind of um, transience of instant photography, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Now, one of the things that intrigues me about your practice is uh, I read an interview with you where you used the phrase, my body became my studio. uh, Not all of your work, but certainly your performance, some of your performance work and much of your photography, you have used yourself as a model, but uh, you've used yourself uh, in order to create a series of, I guess, conceptual portraits of uh, different versions, different iterations, imagined versions of yourself, which makes Rule of Three quite intriguing, as you said, because in this work you are literally receding into the background. You're being subsumed by by the land, by the flora, by the landscape. Uh, do you think this is something that will continue in your work? Will you continue to move away from yourself? Well, I think that sort of in the, you know, the last 21 years of my practice, I, um, that you know, that was a kind of an essential tool because I was, you know, I lived in Europe for over a decade and, um, yeah, my body was my studio and the camera and my relationship with photography. Um, it allowed me to kind of move from, you know, Amsterdam to Oxford to London and to be able to uh, still generate work 
I guess it's interesting because when I'm making the flower wall works, which rule of three is one of them, I um, often refer to my own, when I'm making them, I'll sort of go, well, I'm going to put the hand here and then I'm going to put the face there. And people will be like, you mean your hands and your face? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I sort of approach it as almost as a medium, just another medium. So you're, you're not necessarily that conscious of yourself being in the work. You are using yourself as a prop, almost. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that my body as a Bidjara person, as an Aboriginal person, has a particular political resonance to it. And that has sort of shifted and changed as the consciousness and the kind of dialogue and in the culture has changed as well. And so, yeah, I kind of... But now it's, like I said, it's kind of entered this much more metaphysical kind of um, spiritual realm. And it's a different approach to the utilisation of my sort of physical body and my work. It's become a lot more, yeah, a lot more abstract. You said uh, living in Europe for 10 years. I'm curious to know, during that period, during that decade, how did that change your relationship with with the land, your relationship with uh, your own country, uh, Bidjara country? Well, I definitely missed home, but I think in a weird way, because I was so far away, I went very much into my own kind of memories of my childhood growing up in Western Queensland. So uh, it sort of made that connection even stronger. It allowed me to distance myself from some of the more negative aspects of growing up in Australia if you're an Aboriginal person and it allowed me to go through to the to cut right through to the things that um, have really um, been the touchstone for you know my life and and for my practice as well. Now, one of the, I guess, ongoing influences on your practice as an artist has been the natural world, regardless of the, the medium you're working in. What is it about the, the, that kind of lived experience of nature that is so significant for you as an artist? I think there's something about the kind of the consistency of the natural world and the transience and ephemerality of the natural world. It's almost like beauty that's fleeting and temporary, um, but it, it does have such an intrinsic connection to you know, humanity. And what did I say? The only constant is change. And there's something about that that I find very compelling. Christian, I'm intrigued because uh, you've mentioned that you've judged the award previously, but uh, you've been selected as a finalist multiple times, uh, four times to date, and received an honourable mention in 2012. Did you? Uh, did it get to the point after being kind of shortlisted but not winning kind of multiple times that you were, I don't know, feeling like uh, always the bridesmaid, never the bride? <laughs> no. No, because I, I don't. I don't. I don't enter for that reason. I just enter because I feel like it's part of being part of the community. And in terms of that community of artists and the community uh, whose body of work your work is represented among as part of uh, the bonus uh, prize, how significant is it to be able to to be standing alongside that artistic community in an exhibition like the the bonus photography prize finalists of twenty twenty? 
Uh, I mean, I think it's very kind of, um, it's really great to sort of re, to sort of check in and to see all of the different kind of arrays and approaches that people have to photography. It's, it's, it's so diverse and it's so different. And I find that really, really exciting. Exciting and perhaps also inspiring is it, does seeing the work of your peers kind of help you, well, I guess, does it help give you impetus? Does it help encourage you to, to strive even for even greater heights? Yeah, it does. And I think the, the bonus prize is a really great platform for that. It's something on the yield, the annual calendar that people can sort of, you know, put in their minds and sort of go, oh, okay, that's something that I, I really want to create a work specifically for the bonus prize. Um, so it's a great platform for, you know, for photography. The bonus Photography Prize 2020 exhibition is showing at Monash Gallery of Art, 860 Ferntree Gully Road in Wheelers Hill until the 7th of February. You can check out more information at www.nga.org.au. And then Christian's winning work will be included after that in the exhibition. Uh, Bonus Photography Prize celebrates 15 years, showing at Smith and Singer, 14 to 16 Collins Street, Melbourne, from the 18th of February until the 7th of March as part of Photo 2021 International Photography Festival. I've been chatting with Dr. Christian Thompson, AO. Christian, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. And again, congratulations on uh, winning the Bonus Photography Prize 2020. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Women's Circus uh, celebrating their 30th anniversary in 2021. And Devon Taylor, the creative director of Women's Circus, joins me on the line now. It must be a relief to know that Women's Circus are celebrating their 30th anniversary this year rather than last year. I know of so many arts organisations who had landmark anniversaries in 2020, planning for which had to go out the window because of COVID-19. Absolutely. Uh, And also I would say I'm just thrilled that we are here to say that we're celebrating our 30th anniversary. Um, you know, if you talked to me at this time last year, I may have had debt. <laughs> um, but, you know, we made it through and um, got to experiment with all sorts of new ways of connecting people using circus over the year and um, looking forward to some in-real-life activities this year, fingers crossed. Now, 30 years is a landmark for any arts organisation, really. It's always a, there's always a degree of uncertainty and, and danger around the future of the arts in this country, particularly where funding is concerned, at, at least at a federal level. Uh, for people who, who aren't familiar with Women's Circus, take us back 30 years. Tell us, uh, what, what was, the, I guess, the, the seeding point for the organisation? How did it come about and why? Look, obviously I was not around 30 years ago, but there are plenty of people who are part of our community who were. So I've had the pleasure of sort of chatting with them and getting lots of anecdotal information. And obviously we've got lots of archival stuff. But it started as a community project based out of Footscray Community Arts Centre, led by Donna Jackson, initiated by Donna Jackson, I guess. Um, And it was really designed to support... Uh, people who are survivors of violence primarily to engage with the radical form of circus arts and uh, connect with their bodies and build creativity and make some pretty wild out there circus shows. Um, uh, We digitized a lot of our work for the 25th anniversary and so I got to watch the first show in its entirety and it was pretty amazing to watch. Like, I don't know from a risk point of view whether or not we'd be allowed to do it anymore. But <laughs> but there was... Um, and it was it was a huge turnout. I guess the call went out and they were overwhelmed with um, 
you know, people wanting to participate. Uh, and we have still some of those first people who came along in 1991 as, as members of our community still. So I feel like that's a real testament to the organization, that not only do we have lots of new, fresh faces coming through the space, but we've been able to retain and support people for 30 years across our programs as well. So, I mean, since then it grew. It just kept growing. And then we eventually grew out of the Footscray Community Arts Centre space and into the drill hall space, I think, in the early 2000s. And, and I guess the, the, the program itself grew to be not just, um, a com, you know, a, a community project, uh, but actually encompassing a lot of training, a lot of creative opportunities, a lot of collaborations with um, cross-sectoral collaborations, as well as sort of um, creative collaborations. And, yeah, 30 years later, I think the trick for organizations that have been around for a long time is making sure that they still... Uh, are relevant, you know, like I'm conscious of not kind of colonizing a space too much by just sticking around for a long time and making sure that there are voices that are contemporary that are part of the community as well. So that's the trick, I think. I think for me, certainly one of the ways that Women's Circus has stayed fresh over time is recognising, particularly it's fascinating to see uh, in contrast to the UK, for example, where there's a, a huge kind of anti-trans agenda at the moment, that Women's Circus embraces all women, uh, including kind of trans uh, women and also non-binary people as well. It's a, an yes. inclusive circus organisation. Yeah, and look, there's still more... and we're, we, we, For us, we realise that that's still a space of ongoing dialogue and conversation. Uh, and it's really important to us to have those mechanisms, and we're striving to find touch points for those community members to come in and real, you know, understand that it potentially, you know, that it, it's hopefully a safe space for them because we can say that we are. But I think ultimately, it's by um, having programs that are led by trans and non-binary people, which we've got one running on Fridays at the moment that's specifically for trans and non-binary folks, led by a non-binary trainer. We have an advisory group that we just sort of set up to help us continue to sort of reflect on the policy in line with a sort of a, a bigger sort of policy review process that we're doing, you know, because I think, you know, a lot of this stuff, it's, it, I really believe in a sort of disability justice model of the nothing about us without us idea. So it's important for us to make sure that the people that it most impacts <laughs> have a, an opportunity to influence and um, co-design some of this stuff with us, you know. Uh, and we've really seen a huge change to our community. I think we have people from the board down to the, you know, the staff and members. It's a much more diverse group of, of people. And you know, I guess we think of it more as marginalised genders now, than it is just about you know women in, in in their entirety. It's a tricky. It's an interesting space, and I lo I love the conversations that we have. Now, in terms of the organisation itself, Women's Circus, as we said, celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, established in 1991. Uh, and over, as you've, you've indicated, over that time, the organisation has gone from just presenting shows, often with as many as 50 people on stage, to also being a training organisation. Let's talk about a couple of the training programmes that I believe are kicking off in the week of uh, the 1st of February. So you've got yes. Circus Mixtape, which is a heavily subsidised program specifically for trans and non-binary people. And then also there's a six-month intro to introduction to circus program called New Crew. Yeah, so that was sort of, that's our really seminal, or probably the wrong word to use, but like really important <laughs> word um, program that's been around in some sort of form or another since it started. So basically it used to be called New Women, we changed it to New Crew to be more inclusive. 
And um, that's for anyone who's never done surface before or you've done it a long time ago, but you, ha- you want to get back into it. And you get to come along, you're taught by two of our you know, most awesome trainers uh, who've been around and start, both of whom started as community members and then moved up you know, through the organization and became two of our best circus trainers. And, and so that one allows you to, every Thursday evening across six months, you'll get a chance to try all the different circus skills, but also learn a little bit about the culture at Women's Circus, opportunities for performances, opportunities to volunteer on things, and, you know, the community that comes with it, I guess. You know, like, that's, that's the first entry point into a, a you know, um, a, hopefully a longer journey for people with us. So that one's great. And the great thing about that is we've had some support to make that fully subsidized for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So that's you know, free for those people to attend and heavily subsidized for unwaged and concession people as well. So really recommend that one for people who have never, you know, who are really keen to get involved. And then the the TGD program, the mixtape program, has come out of a a couple of years of engagement and they, you know, understanding from that community that they also wanted their own class as well as being welcome in all the other classes, which, um, so this is, we started it last year at this time and had a full class ready to go, and I think they had two classes before we had to shut down everything. So, um, and look, the thing we're really excited about is that this is our first public program. We, we did a small test run at the end of last year that was pretty strange because everyone had to stay in pods and wear masks, um, whereas this year hopefully we're moving into bringing back our training program, which is a really vital part of, you know, we need people to be skilled in circus or, you know, learning skills in circus to then be able to work with them to create awesome circus shows. So, um, speaking of awesome circus shows, you've recently been uh, selected uh, by Art Centre Melbourne and the Metro Tunnel Creative Programming and Performing Lines, I believe, you're going to be yep. creating a brand new public performance uh, for later this year. Yeah, and this is really this one's really exciting. Uh, personally, very exciting, I will say, because it's sort of the uh, it's not even a culmination, but it's like the next stage in a in a, an inquiry that we've had at Women's Circus over the last few years, supporting and working alongside disabled artists. You know, looking at the inquiry of how disabled and non-disabled bodies impact the circus practice, um, and so. It felt particularly relevant this year because, as you referenced, our shows tend to be like 50, 80 people involved. You've got 40 people behind the scenes and 40 people on stage. I'm not even 100% sure how we're going to be able to do that for a while. So this is also an opportunity for us to trial sort of a new model where it's a smaller, more focused ensemble piece. We're working with a team of professional artists on the whole, which is also a bit of a, a different to what we do. It tends to be a community work. There'll be opportunities for our members to be involved in the process. But yeah, this is really exciting for us. So it's a, it's a team of 10 artists that I'll be working with, um, made up of disabled and non-disabled artists. And uh, we're looking at the idea of exploring personal and political and poetical momentum. So momentum was the theme at the moment, and it'll be activating the public areas in the Arts Centre. It's just wild to have some actual project to work on this year. <laughs> I can <laughs> absolutely imagine. After, after a year in which everything oh, ground to a halt to, uh, to be able to be 
uh, future-focused and to be able to think about creating new art again must be uh, delightful. It is very delightful, not without its trepidation, I have to say, but, you know, I think um, care is really core to, to what we do at Women's Circus, so, you know, we just are always checking in with each other, and, you know, it's a small crew. I had to design it in my head so that it was, like, below the 10 mark, so we could always meet, potentially, if restrictions went a little bit wonky again, and, like, it, it's been interesting having a scenario plan in a way that is different than what the art sector normally has to do, which is scenario plan for I get all the money, I get none of the money, I get some of the money. This one's like a different scenario planning. But um, but excited to sort of to test that model as well and provide paid employment to artists this year. That's been a main, a really a big focus for us at Women's Circus is um, recognizing that a lot of the people that we work with as our, you know, trainers and artists were horribly impacted. Um, and we found ways to kind of try to keep them engaged and paid. But this, both the two projects that we've gone on this year, one's for midsummer and one's for the end of the year at, at the Art Center, both focus have paid, pay a lot of artists, which is great. I feel very good about that too. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Now, yeah. uh, if people want more information about Women's Circus, www.womenscircus.org.au. Uh, you can find all the details there on the website. If you go to the contact page, uh, there's a direct email, training at womenscircus.org.au if you want to get involved uh, uh, and have questions about the, the training classes there. Uh, and all the other information you need is on the website. I'm chatting to the creative director of Women's Circus, Devon Taylor. And Devon, I wanted to finish by mentioning, as I was browsing your website this morning in preparation for this conversation, the quote that's on the website from uh, Ariane Manushkin from Theatre du Soleil leapt out at me. And that quote is, you should go out of the theatre more human than when you went in. I love that quote. It sums up something so much about the what art gives us. It makes us feel more human. It makes us feel more alive. Is that perhaps one of the, the key messages that women, over the 30 years of Women's Circus, that the circus and the training and the projects and the, the, the shows that have been made have celebrated the people who make it and who are part of the circus? Absolutely. And I think that the other thing is that everyone becomes not just alive, but like engaged. You know, what I've noticed with our crew of people is that they're like, through the passion of the circus, they sort of become engaged in a whole of life experience. It's not, not for everyone, obviously, but that's what I've observed is lots of people end up being really sort of, um, you know, active people in the world because of their involvement with, with the circus. And I think the biggest thing for me, and I've been at the circus now for se almost seven years, and I don't think I'm going anywhere anytime soon, is the community of people. Like, it's, they're just, everyone's got their own story, but no one, you know, it's a really inclusive, welcoming, wonderfully fun, playful, but also radical space to exist within. And it's such a a joy to see the transfer and experience it yourself, that sort of transformation that can take place. So absolutely, I love that quote as well. That was our previous artistic director who brought that one to the table. For more information yeah. about Women's Circus, www.womenscircus.org.au. A range of training programs uh, and, of course, shows coming up later in the year as well. Devon Taylor, thank you so much for joining us on the program today and happy 30th anniversary to the company. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. 
To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Throughout 2020, the Melbourne Gallery Buxton Contemporary was supporting the development of seven new projects by artists, ambitious works to be presented virtually, online and digitally, and that commissioning project continues now into 2021. We know that 2020 was a difficult year for artists, so to have this commissioning process is a significant one. Joining me on the line is the artist Hossein Valamanesh to talk to us about the latest work in the Light Source Commission from Buxton Contemporary, uh, a work called What Goes Around. Hussain, welcome to Triple R, and thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you very much for having me. How significant is it to have a commission like this, to be able to realise uh, a new work and to be supported to do so? I think it's uh, very crucial, at, especially at this particular time, uh, because uh, just opportunities are limited and and the uh, exposure of the work is, uh, and uh, like uh, last year, a number of um, my exhibitions were uh, postponed and uh, within Australia and overseas. And uh, But this is a very good initiative, and uh, hopefully in March we'll be able, people in Melbourne, be able to actually see the actual, all the commission being exhibited for a period of a few months. Now, it is available, available to view online at the moment if people go to buxtoncontemporary.com. Uh, and That's correct. So one of the things that intrigues me about this work is having read about your work, your, your practice as an artist, you tr- usually use ordinary objects, natural materials to create your work. With this particular work, which is a collaboration with your son, a filmmaker, um, I believe you used objects that were already existing in your studio? Was it a, a process of cleaning up and finding things and gaining inspiration like that? Or was it a yeah, more... Yeah, as, as, as what they say, one thing leads to another. Uh, I was earlier last year cleaning up studios and finding objects and say, OK, this is about uh, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to keep it or throw it away or do at least something? Because sometimes you keep... I collect a lot of stuff branches in the streets and in our garden and just put them aside and then come back to them. And uh, one of these artworks which I made earlier in last year was a, a kind of a little memorial to a recently departed dog of ours. And uh, that within that, I had a pile of uh, sticks uh, which became like a little nest. And then from that, uh, I started gathering more branches from the trees around the neighborhood and also with our garden, and started making this more of a suspended nest-looking spherical object. And uh, as I thought it would be something quite simple to begin with, uh, but I kept adding more branches into it, and then it started sort of have its own presence. And uh, I, from the beginning, I thought, because I have other works which are revolving, uh, suspended in, in air. And uh, then this work started getting its own presence. And it was not that long after, but just about time I was finishing the work that uh, we, was, we were approached uh, by Buxton Contemporary to consider doing a video 
husband. And uh, I have collaborated with our son, Nassim Walamanish, who is a filmmaker living in Melbourne, uh, quite a number of times. Since last 10 years, uh, uh, we have done about four projects together. And I thought, uh, and it was very nice of the Buxton to recognize this collaboration and invite both of us to work on, on a project together. And since this work was uh, in the studio and already existing, I thought it would be a good opportunity to uh, extend the idea of this work by actually making a, a video. And, uh, and we were f fortunate that Nassim was able to come to Adelaide in, uh, just around Christmas, and we set up a studio here, and he brought equipment, and, and we were really happy with its filming. Uh, yeah, and I'm quite pleased with it, and we had quite a good positive response at this stage. Now, one of the things that intrigues me about the work, which, uh, as I said, is available to be viewed online, buxtoncontemporary.com, uh, is that there's so much you could read into it. On one level, it could look like um, uh, it could look like a nest, a natural structure. Uh, as the the camera moves back, as the work continues to to rotate, it could almost be seen as um, something microscopic viewed in close up, perhaps even a virus. Uh, yeah. uh, so that the fact that it has there are multiple ways to read it is intriguing. What also yeah. intrigued me is the soundtrack, which is uh, kind of abstract and uh, uh, and dark uh, and perhaps almost cinematic in some ways. But I understand mm -hmm. that soundtrack is actually you in the studio working. That's right. When I was actually, when we were started thinking about filming this work, and uh, I actually didn't intend it, I thought, okay, we'll, we'll do some really uh, beautiful meditative uh, sound of re repetition, like a chant or something that goes more with celestial kind of presence of this, because the, uh, the structure is made of branches, but the end of the structures have been slightly darkened, and then there are gold leaf uh, placed on the ends, and when the thing turns, it appears like stars or something to that effect. Uh, However, uh, when we actually finished uh, filming and uh, our, our son was here, and I, he just kept nudging me about this other way of let's look at this other way. And that's what's wonderful about collaboration. You kind of ha go with the new ways of looking at the same thing. Uh, and that's what I enjoyed. And then he started recording some sounds in the studio and then, of course, with his skill as a filmmaker, and um, uh, he was able to put this together, which was, uh, I thought, it was really good. And as you say, it took the work somewhere else. You can see it as a something uh, sci-fi, as it were. The sound kind of gives it that sort of... But also this difficulty in its rotation and grinding. and Yeah, but it is actually just sound of life in a sense of something so mundane in the studio, cutting, sawing and grinding, yeah. I'm intrigued, uh, Hussein, about your practice as a whole. Uh, for many years now, you've been, kind of, I guess, acknowledging and exploring the natural world through your practice and... and uh, whether it's, I don't know, uh, the work Earthwork, for example, which was... Uh, 
examples of your fingerprints, but at a large scale created uh, in, the, in the Earth itself. Uh, what is it about the landscape and reflecting the, the physical environment that you live in? Why is that so significant for you as an artist? I, it is especially now has become so uh, important and so evident that we are connected with nature and the, and the way... And looking at nature, appreciating its beauty, also seeing uh, its necessity, necessary connection we have to maintain with nature. It is uh, of, of utmost importance, especially with the environmental uh, issues which are uh, have evolved over the last, uh, say, six hundred years or so. But uh, in general, I think. Uh, uh, I became more aware of this connection than I actually came to live in Australia as, as one somehow uh, has the opportunity to see landscape and to see the earth as it were still in some parts of Australia. And that is a very powerful thing in, in Australia. And the kind of uh, connections that the indigenous culture here has with the, la with the land and the earth it was uh, very inspiring for me. And also, I, in general, I just like working with the material from the earth. It's just something rather than, let's say, resin and fiberglass. Or, although I have got things have made in bronze or carved in stone by others, but most of the material I handle and work is of nature or somehow talks about that with, like, leaves and petals and... And it just gives me a pleasure because it's not just the idea of art. It's actually the process and the process of making and handling the material. It's, it's all part of the, the being an artist. And I really love doing that. And as you say, the, uh, in 2020 and now continuing into 2021, the pandemic has reminded us just uh, how connected we are with the planet, how uh, the, the world significantly impacts us and conversely how we impact upon the world as well. Exactly. I mean, uh, there are talks about how because of the environmental issues that this particular and the way we have, uh, you know, growth of the population in the world and uh, not taking care of the uh, land and the animals and environment that this these, uh, virus may come about. But I am not hundred percent sure, but one could ponder about these issues and hopefully will teach us a lesson and will come out other side uh, with a bit more appreciation of nature. Now, to come back to the work, what goes around, as well as reflecting uh, and connecting with one aspect of your practice, which is the, as we've said, the, the natural world and uh, objects that exist, which you can create work from, there's also a, a nice, perhaps uh, not... not so overt, but nonetheless a subtle connection with uh, some of your earlier work. I'm thinking, for example, of the 1993 work that uh, takes its title from a, uh, a poem by, by Rumi, uh, The Lover Circles His Heart. The, the spinning and the rotation of this new work perhaps reflects the, the whirling of that older work as well. That's correct. And, uh, and also there was another work called After Rain, which I made... Uh, Adelaide, uh, it's a, a tree that is upside down and it's, it's rotating for, for a, 
uh, Heartland exhibition in Art Gallery South Australia. Yeah, I suppose that through the poetry of Rumi and uh, the kind of concepts that he has uh, talked about or has written about is the idea of the connection we have not only with Earth that goes around and also with the universe, with the stars, and and uh, even uh, the comes back to within our own way that we circle around our own desires and our love in the world and follow the things we are like a uh, uh, like a sort of uh, what you call uh, rotate and that also means that there are things that are moving they're alive and they kind of maybe we all share this notion of movement with the stars with ourselves and the universe as such if you would like to see uh, the fifth light source commission created by uh, Hossein Valamanesh and his son uh, Nassim, the, the work What Goes Around can be viewed online at buxtoncontemporary.com. Uh, Buxton Contemporary is now open after closing during the worst of the pandemic, located at the corner of Southbank Boulevard and Dodd Street in Southbank, uh, and is open Wednesdays to Sundays, 11am until 5pm. Entry is free. More info at buxtoncontemporary.com. Hussain, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 